Well, good morning, and uh, may the peace and grace of God be on each of you. I was thinking some of the, the I think some of the same line that, that Nate was saying, and uh, you know, I've really enjoyed being here this morning and hearing and being taught uh, really some some good things that uh, um, that we covered and that we heard about uh, a lot of uh, uh, good benefits to reflect on the type of things we were talking about and uh, I guess uh, as Nate said there there's kind of a preacher shortage this morning but um, I guess uh, according to what uh, uh, we heard in devotions if we're a slave we don't really get to decide what we do and what we don't do is that right so uh, anyway I think that uh, um, the uh, devotions really did laid some good groundwork for what I'd like to talk about Um, and uh, one thing I want us to understand is that we don't all have the same job to do, but every one of us that's a Christian, uh, God doesn't just save us to just sit around and not do anything and just talk about how nice it is to be saved. Um, it's, it's great and it's wonderful and it's marvelous that we're saved and that we're, we're born again and that we're children of God. But every child of God has something to do. God saves us and then he gives us things to do. So I'd like to look at some of that this morning. And... Uh, I'd like to start from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. It says here, uh, this is Paul writing about himself and his fellow ministers. <clears throat> he says, let a man so account of us, or, or when you look at us, think about us in this way. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Now, uh, Jason talked to us this morning about being slaves. And uh, I was thinking about that too. Uh, is, there a, is there any way that, uh, that we can think about being a slave in a positive way? Or is there, is there, is there a, any of us that slavery strikes as a good thing, a positive thing? I, I guess probably for me it doesn't, and uh, and I think if we look at uh, historically, uh, you know, people looked at slavery as as something that was really undesirable. Uh, so when the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt, they cried out to God for deliverance. They didn't want to be slaves. Um, and you know, more recently, when uh, in the history of, of the U.S. or our country here. Um, and there were slaves too. Many people went to great effort to try to get away from that and be free. And so people looked at freedom as, as now that would be a positive thing, but slavery is not. Um, and then I thought about what Nate quoted there where Jesus says, you know, if the son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Um, and so let's, let's, let's look at that a little bit. Um, here in First uh, Corinthians chapter 4, the first verse, the word that that is used there when he says, let a man account of us as of the ministers of Christ. That's the same word, as I understand, that Jason would have used. That also means slaves of Christ. Um, And maybe this isn't so significant, but I I guess I think it is, uh, that here this is Paul um, telling people 
how I would like you to look at us. Okay, this is not God saying this is how to look at Paul, but this is Paul saying this is this is how I want you to picture what we're doing as pastors. He says, uh, consider us as the ministers of Christ and um, the uh, the the word that that comes from, as Jason talked about a little bit. The way I understand is that was that would refer specifically to uh, to uh, like slaves that would have rowed the the ga- the galley ships or whatever they called them the, the galley slaves they called them the slaves that w- when when boats were built the, these places were built underneath the boat where you'd have a compartment and you'd be chained in there and then you'd be given an oar and you know you were you'd ha- you'd paddle the boat that that that's the the picture uh, or supposedly what this word represents. And so one, one thing you could think about, I guess, um, when you look at that is, uh, so Paul's saying that, you know, we're servants and, or we're slaves and we're stewards. So the, we're slaves in the sense that we're doing, we're underneath the boat and we're keeping, you know, we're rowing, we're putting a lot of work. We're doing what needs to do to keep this thing going. Okay, so that's one of the things that we could say that ministers get to do. They, they get to do things uh, that uh, sometimes are pretty unglamorous, uh, things that maybe if they could choose, they'd rather not do. Um, but, uh, but he says, that's the way I'd like for you to, to think about us. We're, we're committed to doing whatever needs to be done for Christ. And one of those things is that we do our part to row the ship. And then he goes on and he says that, moreover, it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Well, I, let me back up a little bit. So he, he talks about himself as a minister um, and also a steward. And, and this morning I'd like to talk, I'd like to think about uh, each one of us as being a steward of God or being a good steward. So what's a steward? We talk a little bit about what a, what a servant is or a slave, but what's a steward? Well, a steward is someone who manages resources for somebody else. Okay, a steward's not an owner, but a steward is somebody that uh, works for somebody else and manages things that are another person's. Uh, and he says that uh, we're stewards of the mysteries of God. So part, I, th- I think part of what he's referring to is not only do we row underneath and do that work, but we also get to preach and, and talk about the mysteries of God. Um, so a steward is often, uh, we often think about being good stewards as using like money, for example, like using it wisely, not being wasteful, um, and, uh, you know, managing it well and, and, and doing what we should do with it and managing it in a good way. Uh, or maybe, you know, we think about fields or buildings or, uh, uh, whatever. Um, and, we think about a good steward managing those things the way that the owner wants to have them managed. Doing things the way that, that the owner wants them done. Um, and it says that it's required in stewards, or it's very important that a man be found faithful. It's, it's important that stewards are faithful and manage resources well. I like to think about stewards in a little more narrow sense. Those are all, that's all true, that, you know, stewards... Uh, part of being a good steward is managing money well. But thinking about ourselves as being children of God, 
Um, I'd like to just refer a little bit to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, this is the story of uh, um, the... Uh, Uh, the man that went into a far country and he called his servants, his people that were to, to do his work for him while he was gone, and he gave them things to do. Um, and not going to spend just a, a lot of time here, but I just want to pull a few things out of this that I think we do, we do good to consider. So he calls his servants before he leaves and he says, I've got some things for you to do here. And, uh, and so he gave them uh, different things. It says he, did, he called 10 servants and gave them 10 pounds. And he said, occupy till I come, okay? Or go to work, stay busy until I come. Now, these were people that I would imagine had worked for him for a while. And they knew him pretty well. And so he didn't have to do a lot of explaining about exactly what he wanted done. But he just said, get busy, do, work till I come back. And so most of them did. Um, and, uh, and it says that uh, um, one of them or when he returned, different of them came to him and said, okay, here's how we use what you gave us, and here's what it did. And he was pleased with them. But it says the one of them came and, and just gave him back what he had given and had done nothing with it. It says he came and said, Lord, here's your pound, or here's what you gave me. Um, I, I put it away in a napkin. I kept it laid up in a napkin, for I feared you, because you're an austere man. You take up what you laid not down and you reap what you did not sow. So basically he said, um, I didn't do anything with it. Um, and, you know, I didn't because you're a pretty hard man. I, I just, there's some risk there and I just wasn't sure what I should do exactly. And, and the, the, the thought here is when he says, I feared you, is it's sort of like a dig at him that you're not really a very fair boss. You're kind of a, you're kind of an unfair or uh, anyway, kind of a dig at his at, at him as a person. And so he, he said, well, you know, I just really didn't do anything. I just uh, kind of sat on it. Well, the owner uh, or the boss there was very disappointed in that man. Everyone else he was pleased with because they did what he said. They took what he had given them and they did something with it. This man did nothing with it. He just sat on it and he had a very bad attitude about it. Uh, he, he really didn't want to do anything with it, I believe, is what, what he was saying. And so the point here that I'd like to, to make is that, <clears throat> the, that Jesus says that the person who did nothing with what he was given something to do with brought disappointment to his master. So God's equipped all of us with tools that can bring him glory or if we use them selfishly or wrongly, can dishonor him greatly. A song we're probably all familiar with goes something like this. I have two little hands to work for Jesus, one little tongue his praise to tell, two little ears to hear his counsel, one little voice a song to swell. I have two little feet to tread the pathway up to the heavenly courts above, two little eyes to read the Bible telling of Jesus' wondrous love. I have one little heart to give to Jesus, one little soul for him to save, one little life for his dear service, one little self that he must have. So how can we be a good steward for our master, for our creator? 
How can we be a good steward for him? How can we represent him in a way that he would like to be represented here on earth? Well, one thing I'd like to just say uh, at the beginning is, uh, <clears throat> this comes from Philip Yancey, and I think this is a very good illustration. We think about pleasing our Creator, our Savior. Um, let's, let's remember that uh, um, we can only reflect, uh, we can only please Him when we re reflect His light uh, because He's living within us. Dr. Paul Brand was speaking to a medical college on let your light so shine before men that they may behold your good works and glorify your Father. In front of him was an oil lamp with its cotton wick burning from the shallow dish of oil. As he preached, the lamb ran out of oil. The wick burned dry, and it started to really smoke. So he looked at that, and he said, you know, he said, some of us here are kind of like this wick. We're trying to shine for the glory of God, but we stink. That's what happens when we use ourselves as the fuel of our witness rather than the Holy Spirit. But wicks can last indefinitely and can burn brightly and without irritating smoke if the fuel or the Holy Spirit is in constant supply. So let's remember that we need God to fill us and to take control of our lives so that we can represent Him. We can be channels and represent Him um, to the people around us in the way that He wants us to. And I'd like to think about how can we, uh, we think about our life. I think about my life. You think about your life. How, how, uh, how am I representing God here? Uh, you know, Jesus isn't living here anymore like he was at one time when he was actually here on earth. But he's put us here so that people can see him living in us. Or he's put us here to represent him. And so how am I making a difference here where God has put me? How are you making a difference? When God looks down on us, is he pleased with what he sees? Is he pleased that he's created us? In Genesis 18, God talks about Abraham and he says, I know him. Uh, that, that, how does it say, something to the effect that I know him. Maybe I should just read that because I, I think it's significant. In Genesis 18 verse 19, God says, for I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. Uh, that, that's quite a uh, statement coming from God, isn't it? God telling, saying, you know, I know Abraham, and Abraham is a faithful man. He's a man that's making a positive impact, uh, and, uh, and he's teaching his children to follow me. So God was pleased with that and with what Abraham was doing. I'd like to look at somebody else here in the scripture that was uh, making a difference where they were at. Um, in Acts chapter 9, in Acts chapter 9, verses 36 through 42, we have a story here about Dorcas. It says, There was a Joppa, a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. And it came to pass in those days that she was sick and died, whom when they had washed, they laid her in an upper chamber. And forasmuch as Lydda was nigh to Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent unto him two men, desiring him that he would not delay to come to them. Then Peter rose and went with them. When he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber, and all the widows stood by him weeping, and showing the coats and garments the Dorcas made while she was with them. 
But Peter put them all forth and kneeled down and prayed. And turning him to the body said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, presented her alive. And it was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. This lady Dorcas here was apparently somebody that, that was involved with a lot of people. <clears throat> it says that uh, she was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. Now, uh, you know, I suppose if you would have mentioned Dorcas's name, that's just sort of what would have came to people's minds. Okay, I mean, she's a she's a lady that cares about people. She especially um, it says that uh, when Peter came in there, it was the widows that were standing around crying and showing things that Dorcas had done, uh, had given them. Okay, so apparently she had a a real heart, especially for people that, uh, uh, you know, didn't have families, um, people that were really needy. And uh, and she was compassionate and and um, and merciful and reached out to those kind of people um, and so when they thought when you think about Dorcas that's what would come to your mind now you know if if uh, if we just did a little poll here and uh, would ask people that know us well um, you know we'd ask we'd put our name in there what do you think people would kind of associate with with our name um, you know it'd probably be interesting if if people were honest enough to just just tell us that um so anyway uh it says that dorcas got sick here and uh, apparently she got really sick and just died it looks like pretty suddenly um and so the people that mourned her were the widows and those that uh, that she had shown love uh, much love toward um <clears throat> And I suppose that, you know, maybe some of them were thinking, you know, with Dorcas gone here, what am I going to do? She was a person that, you know, she cared about me and, and she would bring it. She would bring me, a, uh, you know, she brought me a dress when she thought I was about out of clothes. Uh, she brought me a coat when it was cold and I didn't have anything. And so maybe they thought, well, you know, what are we going to do without Dorcas around here? So Peter came and by the power of God raised her again to life. And it says that he, when he called the saints and the widows, these people that were so sad that she was gone, he presented Dorcas to them alive. And can you imagine the celebration and the joy that those people uh, uh, felt to see Dorcas again alive and with them there? And it says, word went a long ways throughout all Joppa. And many believed on the Lord. a good example of what someone is doing who is uh, the kind of things that, that we see in somebody that's, that's being a good steward uh, with what God had given her, with her hands, her, her feet, her mouth, uh, you know, being a good steward, being a good steward to people that, that really need, uh, need someone. And I think her, we could say that her kindness reflected the love of God in her heart. So how can we make a difference? You know, it's it's very important to tell people about Jesus. Uh, when we think about representing Jesus, it's it's very important to tell people about Him. But there's times that, uh, um, you know, something like kind words, a helping hand, a loaf of bread. Uh, there's times when doing things like that can communicate 
love and care, and I believe God's love, more clearly than, than, than words can. In James 2, it talks about uh, <clears throat> that uh, if you see somebody that is needy, somebody that, uh, well, let me just read that, James 2, 15 and 16, it says, if a brother or a sister be naked and destitute of daily food, or in other words, somebody that's so poor that's in such uh, desperate conditions that they barely have enough clothes to wear um, and simply don't have anything to eat. And one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled. So in other words, and, and somebody evaluates that and is like, wow, boy, you're you're pretty bad shape. I'm really sorry to see you that way, um, you know. Uh, but I'm going to need to go here. I hope you get what you need. Um, notwithstanding, you give them not those things that are needful to the body. What does it profit? So if you meet somebody and have that kind of exchange, are they going to go away from you sensing God's love? Sensing that you really care about them? Well, the proof is, if we offer them food or clothes or whatever it is that they need. So how can we make a difference? where we're at, the people that we meet and interact with. You know, we, we all uh, probably know the story of the Good Samaritan, and, and we all, you know, just, just really kind of shake our heads at the priest and the Levite, and, you know, they were people that were supposed to represent God, and, and I mean, they saw that poor man laying there, and, and they, they were just really hard-hearted and just went on and didn't even help him. I read a while back here a story about uh, a group of students that uh, had an assignment um, to write a, an essay or to write a, uh, a theological exposition about the story of the Good Samaritan. And uh, they, uh, you know, they're pretty smart people. Um, that's, that's what they studied. They studied theology, which... Uh, um, I don't really consider myself a real good theologian. I, I tend to understand things better if you use simple words and you know talk about things in a simple and a plain way. Um, but uh, these these people were or these these students were studying theology, and so you know part of that is analyzing the biblical text and picking out you know the the main points and the main factors there and and just kind of building a case and, and having different points and just going down the line and having everything in order. And every student was supposed to write their own translation after they did, the, did their work. As, or as part of their uh, assignment, they were supposed to kind of write it in their own words. Well, uh, as is true in a lot of classes, several of the students cared more about the practical implications of the assignment than its intellectual stimulation. So the morning that their that their uh, work was supposed to be turned in, uh, three of them decided we're gonna we're gonna try something here. So uh, they decided that uh, uh, they were going to do a reenactment uh, of the story, and uh, so one of them volunteered to you know be the man that was beaten up and and needed help. So they tore his shirt and his trousers and they rubbed mud and ketchup and different things and made it look like he was really hurt bad and then they laid him 
uh, along the path that went from where the students stayed over to where they had class at. So then the other two went and hid around back in some bushes and watched to see what would happen. And so he laid there and he groaned and writhed. And, you know, he looked like he was in bad shape. Well, after a bit, the students started coming over and, boy, they saw this thing laying there and they stopped and looked. And some of them talked to each other. What, what's going on there? And uh, some of them said something to hear what? What's going on? They said something to him and different things. And, but boy, they had to get to class because they had an assignment that had to get done. And uh, nobody went down and, and actually tried to see what was wrong and helped him. Nobody. But they all rushed off to class because they had to get their assignment in. Now, if you read their papers, what kind of work do you think they did? I mean, how do you think their assignments look? I'm guessing there were some pretty impressive essays because these were people that, you know, these were really smart, bright young students. I'm guessing they had some really uh, pretty outstanding uh, essays probably in, in, in what they turned in. Probably some really deep insights and handed it in on time. But, you know, it, it really didn't make any difference in how they lived. It made no difference in what they did. In Amos, uh, <clears throat> and also in the book of Hosea, I'm not going to turn to that stuff, but it, it uh, talks about uh, false religion. And it talks about a religion that talks about, preaches about, and writes about caring for each other and the world around them, but the words are empty. Many years ago, um, in the 19th century, um, there was a preacher that was coming along a highway, and uh, he came to a place where uh, somebody had had an accident, and his horse was killed. And a lot of people had gathered and stood by, and boy, they were looking at that poor guy, his horse is killed. You know, that's, back then, that was a, I mean, that was a way that he made his living, and, and that was really important. And... Uh, different of them, you know, started to tell the guy that, well, that's too bad, and they were so sad to see that, and they were sorry to see what happened. And, and, and the preacher listened a little bit, and then he put his hand in his pocket, and he turned to the one man that was really um, loudly sympathizing, and he said, I'm sorry five pounds. How much are you sorry? Now, isn't that what mercy and compassion is? Like Jesus had talked, like Jesus talked about, not just feeling it or talking about it, but actually doing it. The good Samaritan looked and he saw those wounds, and he didn't just say, "Ooh, that's some bad wounds. Those things need attention." It says he poured in oil and wine. He dressed them. He saw that this man was a needy man, and that if if he himself didn't do something to help him, he might die. If he didn't get help soon, he was. You know, he, he was in a very, in very desperate situation. He just went down and did what the, gave the man what he needed. He picked him up and took him to an inn. He did it. He did that to a, a good bit of expense and time to himself. And Jesus tells us at the end of that, Jesus tells that lawyer that asked him that question, uh, he says, 
Go and do thou likewise. Go and do the same way as what that man did. And I think that is the heart of God for us today. God doesn't want us to just know these things, but He wants us to do them. So if we notice somebody with a heavy heart, um, how about just giving them some encouraging words? Uh, Reminding them that, uh, you know, they're not alone. We care about them. I think the ability to listen is, uh, is also something that comes from God. The scripture in one place talks about uh, he waketh mine ear to hear as the learned. And, uh, and so I think that uh, uh, sometimes we feel like we, we do the most good by you know giving somebody or by saying something or by saying the right words to somebody. But sometimes we do more good by just listening. I think the ability to listen well uh, is something that God gives us. That's, a, that's something that God gives us that we need to exercise. In Matthew chapter 10, <clears throat> in verses 40 through 42, Jesus says, He that receives you receives me. And he that receives me receives him that sent me. He that receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he that receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. And whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water only in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. You know, if Jesus were here today, um, I, I'm sure every one of us would feel highly honored if we could have him come to our house maybe for a meal or if we could just spend time with him or if he would come for the night or, you know, we would, we would want to give him our best and we would just love to have him come to our house. Um, probably familiar with this poem because it's been around for a long time, but I'd like to talk about Someone who had a, a dream or a vision and and heard that uh, or or heard God telling him that he was going to come to his house the next day and he was really really excited about that. <clears throat> Some of this is kind of in older English because it it happened many many years ago. It says it happened one day at the year's white end. Two neighbors called on their old time friend and they found his shop meager and mean, made gay with a hundred bows of, of green. Conrad was stitching with face a-shine, but suddenly stopped as he twitched a twine. Old friends, good news. At dawn today, as the cocks were scaring the night away, the Lord appeared in a dream to me and said, I am coming your guest to be. So I've been busy with feet astir, strewing the floor with branches of fir. The wall is washed and the shelf is shined and over the rafter the holly twined. He comes today. And the table is spread with milk and honey and wheat and bread. So he was excited. He had a dream and, and he dreamed that uh, that uh, the Lord was going to come to his house that day. And he wanted, he wanted to give him the very best. His friends went home and his face grew still as he watched for the shadow across the still, the sill. He lived all the moments o'er and o'er when the Lord should enter the lowly door. The knock, the call, the latch pulled up. The lighted face, 
the offered cup. He would wash the feet where the spikes had been. He would kiss the hands where the nails went in. And then at the last would sit with him and break the bread as the day grew dim. While the cobbler mused there passed his pain, a beggar drenched by the driving rain. He called him in from the stony street and gave him shoes for his bruised feet. The beggar went and there came a crone, which means an old bent lady, her face with wrinkles of sorrow sown. A bundle of faggots bowed her back and she was spent with the wrench and the rack. He gave her his loaf and steadied her load as she took her way on the weary road. Then to his door came a little child, lost and afraid in the world so wild. In the big dark world, catching it up, he gave it the milk in the waiting cup and led it home to its mother's arms out of the reach of the world's alarms. The day went down in the crimson west, and with it the hope of the blessed guest. And Conrad sighed as the world turned gray. Why is it, Lord, that your feet delay? Did you forget that this was the day? Then soft in the silence a voice he heard. Lift up your heart, for I kept my word. Three times I came to your friendly door. Three times my shadow was on your floor. I was the beggar with bruised feet. I was the woman you gave to eat. I was the lost child on the street. Inasmuch as you've done it unto one of the least of these, Jesus says, you've done it to me. So, he got to uh, have Jesus at his house that day several times, but he just didn't realize in the moment that, that he had the opportunities to do that, he didn't realize it was Jesus. God gives us opportunities to show how much we love Him. And He does it by giving us the chance to make a difference in people's lives. We get to minister to Him through how we um, reach out to other people. But the Scripture tells us that God assures us that those who make a difference, those who represent Him, um, to, or those who care about people and who show the compassion uh, and the uh, uh, mercy that Jesus did uh, will be rewarded. Now maybe we feel like there's not much we can do. But uh, are we doing what we can? Are we taking advantage of the opportunities that God brings into our life? You know, in Mark chapter 12, um, Jesus taught his disciples a valuable lesson. Um, he was sitting there with his disciples and it says that, that uh, people came along and put in money into the treasury. And it says many that were rich cast in much. And I would imagine that as the disciples were there with Jesus, they, they probably were, were pretty impressed with some of the people that put big amounts in there. And then it says that a, a woman came along and put in two mites. It was, it was all that she had. A very small amount compared to the big amount that some of those wealthy men were dropping in there. And Jesus t says, Jesus tells his disciples, he said, did you just see what that woman put in there? He said, she put in more than anybody else. Now, if you think about, put yourself in her shoes, 
Um, and, and you're there, and you're also seeing the big amounts that a lot of these people are dropping in. Wouldn't you have felt like if I have, you know, two little pennies, wouldn't you have felt like that's so insignificant, there's, there's really no point that I even dropped that in there? Why would I even go to the trouble of putting that in there? People are probably going to laugh at me. And really, I mean, what can you buy with that? It's just very little. She could have felt like compared to everybody else, her contribution is, is nothing. But Jesus says, I think he says, um, she, has, she has done what she, well, no, I'm sorry. That, I think that's something else. He just says that she's given more than anybody else. And I think he's recognizing that um, she gave everything that she had. And so compared, in comparison with the others who gave a lot but still had a lot of money left, she gave more than what they did. In John chapter 6, <clears throat> I'm just going to turn to that a little bit. John 6, 1 to 13. This is when Jesus was uh, teaching uh, a great multitude and uh, they were hungry. They'd been out there for a long time and they didn't have anything to eat. And so Jesus says, uh, um, what are we going to do about all these hungry people? And uh, so Philip says, well, you know, we could spend a lot of money on buying bread, but it really probably wouldn't do any good. It's, it's virtually an impossible situation. But he says that, uh, but Andrew says, well, there is a lad here that has five barley loaves and two fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down. And likewise of the fishes as much as they would. So apparently by the time everything was said and done, the people got to eat as much. Everybody was full. Okay? They got to eat as much as they wanted to eat. And when they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. They, therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves that remained over and above unto them that had eaten. So they had more leftovers than they had what they started with, is what it looks like to me. But you know, because a, a, a boy was willing to share what little he had, Jesus used it to provide food for thousands of people. But, and because he was willing to, do what, to share what he had, to do what he could, thousands of people didn't go, hungry, didn't go home hungry. And again, it probably seemed kind of foolish, maybe even just senseless, to offer, you know, to share his lunch that he brought along. What difference could that make? Well, it made an enormous difference for thousands of people. And because he did what he could, Jesus multiplied his efforts or he, he used his generosity, the generosity of, of a young man uh, to teach many, many people in a way that I think this young man never, never dreamed could happen. So maybe we should ask God to show us what he has for us to do. What does God have for me to do? What does he have for you to do? And I think we need to be alert and uh, to take advantage of the opportunities that God gives us. It might make more difference than you think. True evangelical faith cannot lie sleeping. 
It clothes the naked. It comforts the sorrowful. It feeds the hungry. It shelters the destitute. It cares for the sick. It becomes all things to all people. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And so maybe we be faithful in what God gives us to do. Let's kneel for prayer.